0: So we are continuing tonight with uh, the second commandment, the second commandment in Exodus chapter 20. And that means that we're thinking about worship. Uh, Remember as we come to this commandment we have God speaking audibly from the mountain. Uh, The people of Israel are being shaken by these words, they're being pummeled. By these words, uh, we know from Deuteronomy that they will ask Moses to please go up the mountain and speak to God on our behalf. Don't let God continue to speak to us. They feared that if God continued to speak aloud to them, it would kill them, that they would die. And yet God spoke these words in this way so that these people would know to take these words with utmost seriousness. Uh, The hearts of the Israelites were still far away from God, and so he was working to instill a holy fear of him in their souls. God is giving them every reason to take heart and to be careful to obey every word that he is saying. Uh, For us as believers, we ought to have a reverent fear of God That prompts us to be serious about obeying God's commands. But we also have new hearts that have come to to know the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so our reverent fear of God is intermixed with our love for Him as our Heavenly Father. Our Father is the King of the universe. The one who created galaxies and supernovas by his word. Uh, He's also a tender father. He's a gentle father. And he loves us more than we know or can imagine. And so we have double motivation to give attention to these commandments. And we have double motivation to heed them and to obey them. We obey out of reverence. And we obey out of love. Sadly, we live in a day in which God's commandments are being neglected. Uh, So many within American churches have reacted against legalistic fundamentalism. And they've so focused on God's grace that they think any seriousness about God's law is misplaced. They think, after all, if we sin, God will just forgive. Why get so caught up with these rules? Don't we know that we are free from the law? But, dear friend, Jesus came that we would be freed from the law's condemnation so that we would be even more inclined to keep God's commands. So, listen to how our confession that we quote on Sunday mornings. Listen to how it talks about the relationship between the gospel that we love so much, the, the relationship between the gospel and the law of God. It says, We believe that the law of God is the eternal and unchangeable rule of His moral government, that it is holy, just, and good, and that the inability which the Scriptures ascribe to fallen men to fulfill its precepts arises entirely from their love of sin, to deliver them from which, and to restore them through a mediator to unfeigned obedience to the holy law, is one great end of the gospel and of the means of grace connected with the establishment of the visible church. In other words, Jesus came and saved you so that you would be more obedient, not less obedient. What does the Bible say? 1 John 2, 3 and 4. By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The heart of a believer is a heart that loves to obey and longs to obey because we know our God is good and He is wise and He loves us. We trust Him and so we trust His commands and therefore we pursue obedience. And we're serious about obedience. And we're serious about heartfelt obedience. And we're, we're serious about joyful obedience. Parents, you ever told your kids they're supposed to obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart? (laughs) That's how we're to obey our God. Right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. When it comes to the second commandment, there is misunderstanding and there is neglect. Uh, Many have misunderstood the purpose of worship. We've begun to think that the worship of God is actually about us. And we've forgotten that worship is a God-oriented act. God is supposed to be the audience of our worship. Our worship is not first and foremost about us. It is about Him. Yet there are so many books and lectures and webinars out there on how to make worship more enjoyable for the congregation, more entertaining, more engaging, more relevant to their daily lives. But the truth is, worship will have its greatest, most beneficial effect on us when we stop focusing on ourselves and when we put the focus squarely on God. The more we come together on Sunday with this purpose, to express our praise and love to God, and to give our undivided attention to Him, the more we will be changed. His glory and our good are intertwined. And that's how God has ordained it to be. And it is wonderful. So before I go any further, let's read the second commandment again. Let's root our time tonight in these these Spirit-inspired words. Exodus 20, beginning in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now we have already noted that God is setting apart his worship for honor in this commandment. And we've seen that there are two fundamental principles in this command. First, that we are not to worship God through images. Idolatry has no place in the worship of God. True religion is word religion. God in this life is primarily to be known through words and sentences and phrases and paragraphs spoken and read and sung and declared. Not through visual representations. And then second, and even more fundamental and basic, we are to worship God as He is commanded and not as we desire. Now to impress on us just how seriously God wants us to view His worship, I want you to note three things from verses 5 and 6. So three observations from verses 5 and 6, and frankly, I think these need to be recovered in our generation. So first I want you to notice that disobedient worship is described in our passage as hating God. Disobedient worship is described in our passage as hating God. Do, do you see that? God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, What, well, wait a minute. Whoa. Where did that come from, God? We were talking about worship. We were talking about whether or not to worship you in, in images. We weren't talking about hating you. We we're just talking about whether or not to spice up our worship with visual representations. Um, there are people who believe that they can connect more with you, God, if, if they have something visual to bow, to bow before, something that represents you like a golden calf, perhaps. They'll get more out of the worship experience if they can worship you through those images. They're not hating you, God. They just, they just want to worship you the way other nations worship their God. And yet God says, I will punish those who hate me. We need to let this fall on us, church. In, according to God's word, to worship God falsely, whatever your motivation is equivalent with hating God. Our God is a jealous God. Uh, This this jealousy has been described as a conjugal zeal. Uh, His jealousy, God's jealousy, is a jealousy rooted not only in His own love for His glory, but in His love for His people. God is jealous to preserve the glory of who he is, to preserve the glory of his own name because the eternal joy of his people is tied to his glory. So false worship, worship through images, worship in ways that God has not prescribed, that demeans God. It causes God to be seen as less than he really is. And that hurts not just the glory of God. It hurts his people. It hurts those who are to find their satisfaction and their peace and ultimately their salvation in Him. Imagine spray painting over the Mona Lisa. Imagine tearing down the Sistine Chapel and making it a parking lot. Imagine taking the works of Bach and turning them into polka music. Somebody's probably done that and shame on them. Think about taking animal feces and putting it on a bride in her brand new wedding gown just before she walks down the aisle. That is one one trillionth of what it is to worship God in a way that demeans His glory. That defaces and disgraces the highest treasure In the universe there is nothing more true more good more beautiful than God and his glory and when we misrepresent that through false worship we do something that's very heinous and it affects not only his glory but our joy more than that to worship God differently than he has said is to put our will over against his It is to say that we know better than God what will please Him. and Nothing could be more foolish than that. And according to verse 5, it's hateful. But the next, opposite side of that, notice that obedient worship is described as loving God. You see that in verse 6? Verse 6, But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me And keep my commandments. And so here, the connection is even more explicit. Our love for God is shown in our obedience. And what's the issue of the second commandment? It's obedience in worship. So when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he was not saying something new. He was saying something that God had already said all the way back here in Exodus chapter 20. To love God, to truly love God, is to do what He says, to obey Him. God is more concerned with the heart than He is with the externals of worship. And nothing shows greater honor than to humble your heart before someone, to declare them worthy of your careful attention, to hear what they have to say, And to heed them. This is why preaching is a centerpiece of Christian worship. We don't have the time of worship and then have the time of preaching. The the time of preaching, in some ways, is the most worshipful time of the worship service because we show how much we esteem someone by how careful we are to listen to them and to take to heart what they say. We show God's worth and honor by coming on a Sunday night when we could be doing other things and sitting quietly and hearing what does God have to say to me. That says something that magnifies God in this world. According to verse 6, to worship God obediently as He is prescribed is to love God. It It is love in action. I am very thankful for the recovery of good theology and healthy church practices that I think is happening in our day. I am also convinced that I think the next generation may look back on ours and see that careless attitudes about God's worship has been a blind spot of our generation. Uh, In past generations, Christians gave their lives for issues of the purity of God's worship. And we live in a day where that is a completely foreign concept to many Christians. Uh, We've been quick to make God's worship something we do if we happen to be in town that Sunday and if we don't have a sniffle, then we'll be there. Uh, We've been quick to insist that worship must look the way we want it to look. Our generation evaluates a worship service not based on faithfulness to God, but based on how it makes us feel. And I pray that we at Mount Hermon will continue to join a small number of other churches who are trying to blaze a trail of obedience, die-hard obedience when it comes to the worship of God. But it begins... With our hearts. Do you esteem the worship of God as the most precious activity in which you can participate in this life? Do you regard highly the worship of God? Do you you treasure it? Do you love the worship of God? And are you serious about protecting its purity, coming to church each Sunday ready to do the work of angels? exalting the glorious God who is on His throne. Third observation. How we worship affects the next generation. How we worship affects the next generation. Isn't that what we have here in verses 5 and 6? God will visit the iniquity of disobedient worshipers on their descendants, and He will show steadfast love to the families of obedient worshipers. So dear friend, if no other reason has gripped you to treasure the worship of God and to offer pure worship, we ought to do it for our children's sakes. For our grandchildren's sakes. And it's not hard to see how this plays out in practice. After all, our children will have their vision of God most shaped by the way they see Him worshipped. Their reverence for God or their lack of it. Their love for God or their lack of it, their joy in God or their lack of it, their confidence in God or their lack of it will be cultivated, at least in part, by the manner in which we exalt God week after week after week after week, right here on this corner in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. And so if the vision of God that we're putting forward in our worship here is a is something small, then our children will grow to be a people with a small view of God. But if the vision of God that we're putting forward in this church as we worship is is massive, then Lord willing, our church will grow, our children will grow to have a massive vision of God as they grow and mature. If our children see that we esteem God highly, that we are joyfully serious about obeying Him, that He is our all in all, and that we have complete confidence and trust in Him, that's going to affect them. But if the worship service is something different, and you know what I'm talking about, if it's all sentimentality or jokes and goofing off or whatever else it might be, that's going to affect them and the way they view God. The walk that our children will have with God, or the lack of it, is being shaped by how we worship. And that should move us to show our children our high regard for God and His worship, and to prioritize it, and to give our all to it, and to orient our lives around it. Isn't it interesting how breaking the second commandment leads to breaking the first commandment? If you worship God in ways he has not prescribed, over time that false worship will cause us to see God as different than he is. Uh, He will become a different God in our minds than the God of the Bible through false worship. He will become a lesser God in our minds than he really is through false worship. So breaking the second commandment will lead us to breaking the first. But if we keep the second commandment, If we worship God as he is prescribed with with fear and with joy and with obedience to what he has commanded, we will find that the second commandment is a protection against breaking the first commandment. It helps us to continue to hear from God as he really is and to see him with the eyes of faith as he really is and thus to worship the true God and not a false god. There really is wisdom in the order of these Ten Commandments. Now, we've spent a good deal of time under question one. Question two. The goal here is to be practical, um, also convicting. Remember, one of the goals of the law is to show us why we need Jesus We've all messed up on every one of these commandments. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who who saves us and makes us right with God. And so question two, how have we broken this commandment? How have we broken this commandment? I'm going to give you four answers. There are more, but I'm going to give you four answers. Number one, we violate this commandment whenever we use unsanctioned images as a means of worship. Anytime we use unsanctioned images as a means of worship. Now, why do I say it that way? Why not just say we break this commandment anytime we use any images at all? Well, it's because we need to be careful. The second commandment forbids us making images for use in worship. It does not forbid us using visual representations that God himself has prescribed if God has given us something to use in worship, then it's not only right, but it's, it's necessary for us to use it. And, in fact, God has prescribed certain images for us to use in worship. We're not to worship these images, but we are to use them in worship as God has commanded. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about the waters of baptism, and I'm talking about the Lord's Supper. Uh, In baptism, God instituted a visual way for us to see a picture of how we are made new creations in Christ, how we've died to the old self and how we've been raised again as new people. In the bread and in the cup of the Lord's table, we are given a visual picture, reminder of the gospel, of Christ's substitutionary death for our sakes. These are not images that came from the imagination of any man. These were prescribed for us by God, and so those images are acceptable for use in God's worship. You and I, however, violate the second commandment anytime we add other images into the worship of God. Uh, why do we not put pictures behind the words on the screen as we sing praises to God? It's out of a carefulness regarding this commandment. Why do we not perform skits or have uh, puppet shows or, or have artists draw the sermon on, on a pallet while the preacher preaches is, is becoming popular in some churches? It's, it's because of us trying to be careful to keep this commandment. Why is our sanctuary somewhat simple? We don't have a lot of banners. We don't have a lot of pictures in our our sanctuary that might draw our attention and worship. Why? It's it's because of this commandment. Uh, Christianity is to be a word religion. We are to know God through words, not through images. And we don't want to use images as means of worship. You may have questions. Wednesday night, we'll talk about it. Okay? Number two. We violate this commandment when we add to God's prescribed elements of worship. So we violate this commandment when we add to God's prescribed elements of worship. God has graciously revealed to us how He is to be worshipped. We've looked at the elements that God has prescribed several times before in the past. We're not going to go into detail on that this evening. Just know we have direct commands in the Bible to pray together in worship to sing together, to have scripture read, to listen to preaching, to give an offering, to have baptisms in the Lord's Supper. Uh, We also have the example set for us by the apostles of occasionally having testimonies given during a worship service or to have a time where you set apart men for the work of the kingdom in the midst of a worship service. So these are the elements that God has given us whereby he says, I really am worshipped through this. When you obey me in doing these things, I am pleased. These elements glorify God and they transform us. These elements are precious and they ought to be precious to you. I I hope you love every one of those elements I just said. I hope that that the singing and the scripture reading and the prayer and and the confessing the faith together, that all of that is, is precious to you. But we must not add to the elements that God has given us. Uh, we must not suggest that we now worship God in some new way. Well, number three, we violate this commandment when we neglect God's prescribed elements of worship. And there's two ways that we can neglect God's prescribed elements of worship. One is if we just don't do them at all. If we have a worship service and we just don't pray, we just don't pray. That's neglect. But also, when we do pray, are you praying? <laughs> because you see, we can have it in the bulletin. That doesn't mean you're doing it, right? So when we, when we are praying together as a church, are you worshiping God with us through prayer? Are you listening attentively and as far as your soul will allow, agreeing with that prayer and giving a hearty amen at the end to, to say, yes, I'm, I'm praying, I'm worshiping you, God. In this way that you've commanded me. I trust what you've told me to do. And I'm going to do it believing you know what's best. When we sing together, do you sing from the heart? Do you show your love for God and your love for us in this room by singing these most important truths in the world into our ears? We hear a thousand other things during the week. We get a thousand other messages come into our ears. When we get to come in here and put these truths into each other's ears, we ought to put our heart into that. Do you know how much impact the simple act of singing, even with a terrible voice, even being way off key, that can have a mighty impact on people around you? It, It can say to the other people in this room, God is worth something to that brother or that sister. God clearly matters to them. Uh, the word worship actually comes from this idea of worthship, right? It's to do something that displays the worth, the great value of God. Uh, we neglect God's elements in worship when we do not participate in those elements in a way that shows His worth. So during the time of preaching, are you engaged? You all seem to be, that's good. Right? When, are you engaged in that? Are you, are you paying attention? When the scriptures are being read, are you listening? Are you humbling your heart? As, as Brian was reading this morning, did you let the word of God just fall on you and soak it up and hear what God was communicating there? Let's go to the root of the matter. Number four, we violate this commandment when we do not worship God from the heart from the heart because when we look to the bible and we say okay god tells us how he is to worship second commandment says don't use visual images use you know we're going to be a word religion then you go to the rest of the bible and say okay god What's most important in worship? And over and over and over again, God says, it's the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Deuteronomy 6.5 Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 24 Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him, Psalm 62. I will give thanks to You, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, Psalm eighty-six, twelve. With my whole heart I seek You. Let me not wander from Your commandments, Psalm 119, 10. Princes, persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in all of Your words. I rejoice at Your word, like one who finds great spoil, Psalm 119. Remember how Jesus confronted the religious leaders of his day. He said, this people honors me with their lips. But what? Their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. In vain. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men, Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Jesus says that worship is vain when it flows from a heart that is far away from God. Friends, when it comes to worship, God calls out to you, he calls out to me, and he says, put your heart into it. If it isn't genuine, if it isn't accompanied by real thankfulness, real love, real humility, real wonder at the person and the work of God, then it's just a charade. And that's offensive to God. Now, you might say, okay, Justin, if it's the heart that really matters most, then do all of those elements and things really matter? Should we really be so concerned about the externals if it's the heart that matters most. But I think you know how to answer that. When somebody really does love God with the heart, they're going to try and do the externals well. When someone really does love God from the heart internally, then they are going to seek to show that and express that by being careful to obey God externally. The love in the heart expresses itself in faithful action. That's how God has loved us. God doesn't just say, I love you. God has shown His love in faithful action. And that's how we are to love God. A heart that is slow to worship well is one of the first signs that we may be close to backsliding or, God forbid, falling away. Um. You do know it is possible to fall away, to prove yourself an unbeliever, and to still be involved in a local church. And so we must take care here. God commands us to keep a watch over our hearts. You don't want to be lukewarm. Remember what Jesus said about being lukewarm. We don't want to be spit out. And so we're to keep an eye on the fires of our heart. Is there a zeal for God? Is there a passion for God? And if you find that your heart is lacking earnestness, pray for God's grace. Remember, God holds your heart in His hands. He can light that fire. So go to Him and ask Him, God, you hold my heart in your hands. And it's Sunday morning and it's time to worship and my heart feels dead. God, light a fire in me. And then what do you do? You run to the gospel and remember His love. You go to the, you go to the character of God and you think for a few moments about His wisdom and His power. Or you, you look around at your brothers and sisters and you think about the testimonies in this room how God saved this person and that person and and how there's no reason we would even be friends with half of these people if it wasn't that God has brought us together through Jesus Christ. And And you stir your heart up by marveling at who God is and what he has done. Now, just to be clear, we don't ever want to have sheer emotionalism in our worship. Uh, We don't need to have the kind of worship where we turn our brains off and just get caught up in feelings, not at all. But I am saying that you want to come with a heart that's ready to turn your brain on so that you're thinking about the words that you're singing, which stirs up the heart to love God all the more. You want to come with a heart that's ready to turn on the brain during the preaching so that you hear what God has to say to you and worship Him by thinking about it, meditating on it, getting the the juice out of it, so that it does you good. Remember what God has done for you. Can you doubt that His calls to worship are for your good? This is the God who gave His Son for you. This is the God who put His Son through the hell that we deserved in our place so that we would be His children. So when we hear His commands to worship through this element or that element and to worship with the heart, don't doubt His good intentions. He is loving you with those commands. He is caring for you with those commands. And so we really ought to to give our very best to worship God from the heart. Now, Wednesday night, we will take some time to address more the question of, but what about when I don't feel like it? <laughs> what about when I come to church and it's just been a terrible morning and the kids were a mess and me and my spouse had a spat on the way there and now it's time to worship and I am just not there? We'll, we'll talk about that some Wednesday night. Let's go to question three. How did Christ fulfill this commandment? For us. Well, what we have failed to do, Christ has done. Because Christ worshipped His Father faithfully and wholeheartedly every moment of His life. Moreover, Jesus is the ultimate image of God through whom we worship God. <laughs> Jesus is the, the one ultimate image that we are to worship. And then as we worship Him, we worship God. So if you want to worship God the way we talked about this morning, through images, here's your image. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's still given to you in word, not in pictures. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that, you know, we do have pictures, paintings, uh, uh, sculptures of some of the ancient Roman emperors from the first century. We don't have a single picture of Jesus. I think that's on purpose. God wants you to know Christ as he's described in words and sentences and paragraphs in the Bible. Hebrews 1 says God has spoken through his Son. So in that way, Jesus is the image of God and he is the one that connects us to God. Jesus has not only lived the perfect life that we failed to live, but he died on the cross to take away all of our sins. If we believe, so every violation of the second commandment, every time that you've come and you have just half-heartedly worshipped, every time you've come to church and honestly you've been hypocritical, right? You sang, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, and you didn't want a thousand tongues. You weren't saying, oh, for a thousand tongues to be able to sing. You were like, I'm just singing because that's what I'm supposed to do. It's a violation of the second commandment. And you know what? That one sin is enough to condemn us to hell. Because it's a mockery of the God who is worthy of a thousand tongues. And yet Jesus Christ came and He lived and He died to take away that sin from us. In my shame, I must confess that I have not always regarded the worship of God as seriously as I ought. And in my shame, I must confess that I have not always set apart the worship of God as the most important activity in my life. And in my shame, I must confess that I am not always eager to participate in worship. And that sometimes I do come with a a half-hearted worship. Or that sometimes I am worshiping with a man-centered attitude rather than a God-centered attitude. We need to confess that sin. And we need to repent of that sin. And we need to turn against it. But we need to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He has lived and died to cleanse us from that sin. You want to know how to worship God from the heart? Take your eyes off yourself and look to Jesus. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene right, who uh, and wonder how he could love us. Sinners condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful, right? Take your eyes off yourself. Look to Christ who lived and died for you, who, who reigns and intercedes for you. Trust in him. Live in his love. Sink your roots deep in his love. And let your love for Christ transform you and move you towards joyful, serious, obedient, but happy, God-exalting, transformative worship. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, So Wednesday night, we'll talk about the question of how do we help our hearts in this endeavor. Um, Also, people often have questions about images of Jesus um, is it okay if you're not using it for worship to have drawings of Jesus to, um, uh, you know, our, our kids' Sunday school literature, we use literature that doesn't have images of Jesus. It's interesting because the name of the literature is Show Me Jesus, but there's not a single picture of Jesus anywhere in the, in the literature. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Is is it inappropriate to have pictures of Jesus? Um, what about in your nativity sets at Christmas time, is it okay to have a, a baby Jesus in that? Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to talk about that. The movie, The Passion of the Christ, right? Was it was it okay to, to portray Jesus visually in that sense to try and to try and move people to, towards Christianity? So those kinds of things to talk about, and then you may have other questions that are sparked by that. So we'll we'll talk about that. Help each other apply that on on Wednesday night. Okay, let's pray.